Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins fans? And welcome into the Monday, February the 11th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, a new football league emerges. And frankly, it's a smashing success. We'll talk a little bit about the AAF plus the state of the roster series moves on to the wide receiver position. What will Miami do with all the money tied up in the wide receiver room? Plus the one big thing regarding how long a rebuild actually takes in today's NFL. All of that and much, much more. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. That's how the podcast gets out to more Dolphins, helps us continue to grow and keep on doing this thing. So if you've done that already, thank you so, so much. Also, thank you for those that have followed me on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the written versions of the State of the Roster series up there for you guys every day now through, I think, the middle of next week and last but not least as draft season gets closer and closer check out the locked on nfl draft podcast and draft dudes podcast both part of the locked on podcast network and even though the nfl season has come and gone and we are entering the depths of the off season and the fact that i am snowed in i haven't left my house all weekend because frankly there's about 10 inches of snow blocking my car and blocking the roads and just complete chaos out here in the state of washington but despite all of that, we have a busy show for you guys. Let's go ahead and get things cranking. That's another Miami Dolphins. It's, it's kind of rare on this podcast that we explore the other 31 teams in the NFL, at least with any real depth or analysis of those teams. And probably over the course of the summer, I'll do more of that as we look for content to produce for you guys every single day. So it's even more of an oddity that we're going to talk about a football league that's full of NFL castoffs and not good enoughs from the college ranks. But if you have a pulse, you saw the Alliance take off on Saturday night and maybe Sunday afternoon. I'm not sure the games are going to kick off here in about an hour as I record this podcast at noon on Sunday afternoon. But maybe you weren't one of the 2.1 million viewers that CBS drew on Saturday night, which beat the NBA in primetime, by the way, for what it's worth. They had 2 million viewers on the NBA's ABC game of the week. But if you're on Twitter, you definitely saw the positive reaction of the league. People loved it. And I can see why. The rule changes alone were enough to attract me initially, and I think the NFL would be wise to examine some of these possible rule changes. First, the absence of a kickoff. Did you guys miss it? Did anyone really miss the kickoff in those games? They start the ball at the 25-yard line after scores, and I think the NFL will eventually get there as well. But my favorite rule is one that I wish the NFL would have already instituted by now, and it's also a follow-up to the kickoff rule. And especially given what happened this last season on the onside kicks in the NFL, giving the kick team only one yard to get a running start at the onside kick dropped the success rate from something like 18% all the way down to something like 4%, give or take. I'm not sure the exact numbers. They talked about it in the playoffs, all the, pretty much every close playoff game they gave those stats, but forgive me for forgetting those. But the bottom line takeaway is that the onside kick in the NFL, it's dead. So in the Alliance, after a score, 
And I've seen this referred to as the Greg Schiano rule, a rule that he conjured up a while back. I'm not sure when or why he did this, but the rule states that if the opponent scores a, a touchdown or a field goal, they have the option to attempt a fourth and 12 from their own 28 yard line after that touchdown or field goal. And if you convert, you keep the football. If not, you turn it over in your own area and you pretty much give the other team points as a result. That is my favorite rule because the onside kick is useless and maybe they go fourth and 15 in the NFL to make it even harder because you don't want to have like Tom Brady or Drew Brees out there converting fourth and 12s at a 40% rate, which I know that's a little bit higher than what it is for those teams, but you get the idea of what I'm trying to say. So I think they should try to find a way to get that rule into the NFL because onside kicks are dead. And I think this would just add entertainment value even more to the league. But this rule was only slightly better than one of the replay rules they instituted as well. They give the audience at home a live look-in at the conversation between the replay official and the on-field official for how they break down the idea of what they're going to do, whether they overturn or uphold a ruling on the field with the replay challenge. I thought that was awesome. The NFL needs more transparency in that way because folks... That gets you away from the idea that possibly these games could be fixed. I know that's really conspiracy theorist, but just give them more reasons to believe that the games are not fixed. They are organic because we love them so much for that reason and for the ultimate drama. This just adds to that drama and adds to the truth of the game. And then lastly, one more note I took on the game. I had the San Antonio-San Diego game. I think most of you guys probably had the Orlando-Atlanta game, which by the way, why the hell does Atlanta get a team? They already have an NFL team. What, like, Put it in markets where there are no NFL teams. But the one note I put on this was the quarterback for San Diego, something Berkovici, I forget his first name. He got smashed on this play where he got blindside blown up and his helmet goes flying off. He fumbled the ball and the guy kind of launched into his head, which I know that's a little bit dicey, but there was no flag. And the physicality and that brand of football, I think will definitely get people to come back and keep watching because they're not going to put skirts on the quarterbacks. And then the last note, on this AAF nonsense is the number of Dolphins that are playing in this thing, or former Dolphins, I should say. It's actually really cool to see guys get live reps like that because, frankly, they probably have a shot to get back into the league at some point. That was the main point they kept making on the broadcast was the live reps for these quarterbacks who never get to play in real games because only one quarterback plays on the field at a time, so these backups never see live-action reps, but also the live bullets from the offensive line because the changes in practice rules in the NFL, these offensive linemen rarely get to see live work in their own right where they're fully padded up and going full speed. But the big takeaway from a Dolphins perspective was Terrence Garvin going absolutely bananas on Saturday night. He comes up with two interceptions, takes one back to the house for a touchdown, and if you'll recall, Garvin was a special teams ad last March, but was cut in favor of the likes of Stephon Anthony and Mike Hole, a decision that I personally did not agree with, and there are plenty of other former Dolphins in this league as well. Julius Wormsley was a defensive tackle that earned his way up the depth chart in 2016 and actually got into the rotation in week one, but then from there his play fell off big time and he got cut eventually. Thomas Duarte, a seventh round draft pick, at tight end. Francis Owusu, the receiver from Stanford that was in camp for the Dolphins the last couple of years. Gavin Escobar was in camp last year. Demontre Moore was a uh, waiver wire pickup, I think, at one point. Davion Smith was a running back from Michigan in camp with the Dolphins last year. And then Leon Orr was the famed in-season cut. 
I think it was 2018, for showing up to work late and possibly high or some type of suspicious activity with his personality in that way. And then Anthony Moten was in camp with Miami last year as well, the defensive tackle. So that was fun to watch. A nice ease into a long football offseason. And speaking of Garvin here real quick, hearing his name inspired me to go back and search last March's article up on LockedOnDolphins.com where I did all these free agent film write-ups and studies and talked about their new place on the team. And that really was our bread and butter for Locked On Dolphins and really was the springboard for this site becoming a big-time avenue for news and analysis on this Dolphins team because last March slash April, all those film write-ups and draft preview stuff, that's really when the podcast and the site blew up. So I'm really looking forward to getting back into that. And currently up on LockedOnDolphins.com is the State of the Roster Wide Receivers Edition. And next on the podcast, we're going to discuss that position group here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Seven days removed from the NFL season coming to an end, but we are ramping things up here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast as well as on LockedOnDolphins.com as, let's be honest, the football season never ends nowadays with the invent of the internet website or Twitter, social media, whatever the hell you want to call it. The NFL lives on 365 days a year, and that's where it lives for the Dolphins up on LockedOnDolphins.com. We are examining every single position group on this roster, the money put in, the free agents to be for the Dolphins and otherwise, will they come back? Will they be signed? Will they be allowed to walk? The draft class, all the stuff you want to know about these specific position groups up on LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the quarterbacks and running backs up there already. And today we premiered the wide receiver position group, which frankly right now is crazy over the top as far as what cash owed on the roster because right now the Dolphins owe $32 million, give or take, to their current receivers on the roster. The NFL average at the position is $17 million. Now there are two guys that can be cut to really cut that number down to below average and we'll talk about that here in a second. Let's go ahead and start with the first guy on the list, my number one receiver for the Miami Dolphins heading into 2019, assuming he can be healthy because Frankly, I think a lot of people forgot about Albert Wilson in 2018 and just how much he was doing, as is the nature of the NFL, where injured players tend to get cast aside a little bit and forgotten about, much in the way Ryan Tannehill was last year. Albert Wilson could fall victim to that same perception in 2019, but he's owed just $7 bucks, which really isn't that much. He's not even a top 30 paid receiver in the NFL for 2019. And in case you forgot, listen to these numbers that Albert Wilson was enjoying during his breakout campaign in 2018. Before that injury that happened in week seven, he led the NFL in yards after catch, yards after catch average, and explosive touchdowns, which are t- touchdowns that come from 20 plus yards away. He had scores of 75, 74, 43, and 29 yards away from the end zone, and he also threw a 52-yard touchdown, and really, he's the reason the Dolphins won that game against the Chicago Bears, but the one concern you have about Wilson is will he be able to get back with his legs and be full speed ahead for the season, because frankly, receivers train differently than other positions do, because running routes all day long and doing it through practice and games, it takes a lot out of these guys, and a lot is asked of them to get their legs ready for the season, so if he can start squatting more and more weight because right now I think he's doing 135 pound squats, which is not much, not much for an NFL player whatsoever. I would assume he can do about triple that because the guy's built like a house. 
in his lower half. So I expect to see more updates to his offseason program, and hopefully he gets right quickly because the Dolphins need him big time in 2019. And then up next, Kenny Stills, the longtime veteran of the group now, which really is kind of weird because he's only been here for three years, but Kenny Stills is due just $8 bucks, which again is a bargain for a quality veteran receiver at the position. And a lot of folks think that he could be a potential cap casualty, but I just don't think so because in this offense, which in many ways to Adam Gaze's offense is comparable in this way, this offense is predicated on complex route combinations that require clear outs and a consistent vertical threat to challenge the deep portion of the field. And that's where Kenny Stills holds a lot of value, both in his big playability, but also in his workmanlike mentality and his selfless team first attitude, because his production takes a dip when Ryan Tannehill goes out and his shoulders turned into pasta noodles. But even still, Kenny Stills putting in 100% on those decoy routes and working his ass off despite not getting the catches and production, the anti-diva in a league full of diva wide receivers. Kenny Stills coming back in 2019 under the staff that will think of him very, very highly, much in the way Adam Gaze and the previous staff did. Up next, Jakeem Grant, and you go from $7 bucks for Wilson, $8 bucks for Stills. Jakeem Grant's due $720,000 next year. I would extend that guy right now. Give him like four or five million bucks a year if he'll accept it and just go forward and say there's our return man and there's our kind of gadget slash third receiver on the offense because this guy has so much potential, so much top end speed, so much change of direction ability. He can score touchdowns at the length of Albert Wilson any day of the week. He has that big playability and he never got the playing time under Adam Gaze that he deserved. I expect you'll see a big boost in his playing time next year as a screen guy, as a vertical threat, and also working in the system as just a receiver because frankly, he's good at that too. So Jakeem Grant coming back as a starting receiver as well on this group. Up next, Bryce Butler. He's due 805000 a real bargain deal for this team to provide a potential X receiver and a spot they really don't have a body at because Devontae Parker was supposed to be that guy, but we know how that went down and how that will play out here. Bryce Butler will be back, I think, to compete for the job of the X receiver and also give the Dolphins some reps at the position and some depth at the position there. So Bryce Butler, backup slash situational X receiver on this team. And that brings us to the guy that has been a lightning rod of conversation on my Twitter timeline for the last week or so. Danny Amendola do six million bucks, but the Dolphins can get away from that contract without any penalty. And though he is just the 36th highest paid receiver in the NFL, that requires some context because Amendola has missed games each of the last four years. So six million bucks for 13 games of a mediocre slot receiver. I mean, what does that do for you? He's not a red zone threat. He offers nothing vertically. He's limited limited explosively. He's not going to break tackles. And he's going to be 34 next season. You think that he's going to start all of a sudden getting healthier? I don't. He was a progress stopper for Wilson and Grant in 2018. And I think it would be wise to save that money and put it towards Juwan James because James might cost you 9 million bucks a year. So you can just pay 3 million more on top of Amendola's salary and keep your right tackle and lose a middling receiver at the position. So move on from Danny Amendola. And the idea that he is going to bring experience and familiarity with the coaches and a veteran presence Those traits are nice, but for a limited player, you're not going to spend 3% of your cap space on just a guy that's a player's coach on the field. And then up last, Devontae Parker owed 9.4 million bucks. He's going to get released. We know that. He's gone. No more need to talk about Devontae Parker. And then there's some pending free agents that I think are pretty interesting as far as what their future holds in Miami. Leontay Carew, a restricted free agent, is owed 
$630,000, or he played for $630,000 in 2018, rather. I think he'll be back as a camp body, a potential special teams guy, a guy that competes with a Bryce Butler or a new coming free agent or draft pick. So Leonte Carew, I think, gets extended for a year under this new staff. And the same will be the case with Isaiah Ford, who has made $480,000 last year. He's an exclusive rights free agent. He's now one full year removed from the ACL surgery. I think he falls in the exact same boat as Carew and is welcomed back as a camp invite. And then that brings us to the free agent market at wide receiver, a spot I don't expect the Dolphins to be super active in. They could search, you know, the lower bargain bin portion of this group and try to go that way because outside of like a blockbuster Antonio Brown trade, which it's not going to happen, there's just really not a lot of value at the top of this group. I do think it's worth noting that former Patriots Philip Dorsett, Cordell Patterson, and Chris Hogan are all set to hit free agency, and it's a very underwhelming trio of players. No doubt about that. I think Patterson will go back to New England, but Philip Dorsett, you know, he was a Miami guy, a Miami native, and Chris Hogan played for the Dolphins back in 2012 in their training camp. I think that if you want to go for the familiarity route, you can sign one of those guys and say goodbye to Danny Amendola and do it for, you know, seven or five million dollars less than what you would have paid Danny Amendola. I still am against it, but the idea is out there. And while we're on the idea of reunions, Rashard Matthews is set to be a free agent after his career has taken a really bad turn for the worst after getting cut by the Titans and then signed to the Jets at the end of the season. But he has that connection to Miami, but also the Jets receivers coach last year came down to Miami for this year. Carl Doral, easy for me to say, will be the receivers coach for the Dolphins. So that connection, I suppose, exists there. But he also has the big body X position type receiver the Dolphins will need. And then there's the reclamation idea. And I think this is one that I would be interested in because the Dolphins should be kind of on that low risk slash high upside portion of free agency, much in the way they were with Brent Grimes back in 2013. And that worked out very well until the end when it did not work out well. But they got a couple years out of Grimes that were really exceptional. And I think the same story could be true for a guy like Kevin White, who has been a bust to this point in his career. Make no mistake about that. But he's had a bad medical history. He just didn't get on the field for the Bears. If the Dolphins want to float him like a one-year, very cheap contract to see if he can do it, I'd be down for that. He has the big body and the elite athleticism traits that made him a top 10 pick a few years back. And then there's some attractive names that really kind of fit the same mold of what the Dolphins already have by way of the slot, the shifty slot receiver, Golden Tate, Ryan Grant, Adam Humphreys, Cole Beasley. I think that would be something the Dolphins would ignore altogether. And then two more names that could fit that X position, Tyrell Williams from the Chargers. He made 3 million bucks last year and Cody Latimer made 2.5 million bucks for the Giants in 2018. So those are the free agents. As far as the draft goes, again, I think the Dolphins kind of sit on their hands and wait for the draft to come to them as far as going back towards maybe day three on the wide receiver class. So I'm saying probably no to Marquise Brown, no Nikhil Harry, no DK Metcalf, no Debo Samuel, Riley Ridley, Kelvin Harmon, JJ Arcega-Whiteside, and Hakeem Butler. I think all those guys go too high for the Dolphins' taste. But the good news to me is there's a player that's being vastly underrated in this process because of a lack of high-end speed or a lack of after-the-catch ability, and he is West Virginia's David Sills V. The guy is awesome. He was a 
middle school commit to USC as a quarterback and then he like forgot how to throw a football so he had to shift to wide receiver but you can see those smarts and that intellect on the field as a receiver at West Virginia and the quiet hands with the catch point his recognition for body position and leverage to create huge windows even when he's covered he's very very good at stacking defensive backs and he tracks the ball through the air as well as anybody I've seen in this class he is positively an ideal fit for that exposition and if he's there in the fourth round or later, the Dolphins should go after him hard. And besides the fact that, yeah, he is a white receiver, he has a lot of those traits that the Patriots have valued over the last few years as they acquire these types of receivers on their team. And maybe the Dolphins will adopt that style now that they have plenty of Patriots coach coaches in their building. Okay, we've got one last segment here on the Monday podcast for February the 11th. On the Locked On Dolphins podcast, we're going to finish up the state of the roster at wide receiver and predict the depth chart at the group going forward. But also, we have one big thing regarding a rebuild and what it actually means. We'll do all that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. That was a mouthful of a segment talking about wide receivers from free agents to the draft and the Dolphins' current state at the position. We're going to finish it up here real quick in the third segment before we shift gears and predict the roster going forward for the Dolphins at the wide receiver position. And number one, I talked about it. Albert Wilson, I think, is the guy. They should really try to mold this thing around and build around him because I think he has high-end potential and could have a breakthrough campaign much in the way he was having in 2018 before he got hurt. Number two, Kenny Stills comes back. He's such a reliable veteran. I think his production will take a jump when there's more stability back at the quarterback position. Number three, I have Jakeem Grant there. Grant, Stills, and Wilson round out the top three as starters on the field. And the number four is my rookie slash free agent, so obviously more of a bargain idea. I would love to have David Sills in this spot. Could be one of the free agents I mentioned on the process as well. And the number five is Bryce Butler coming back on that cheap contract to kind of round out the money they owe Wilson and Stills with Grant, a cheap rookie or a cheap free agent, and Bryce Butler. So that's your top five receivers for me at this time. I'm sure that will change going forward. And let's go ahead and shift gears here and move on to our final topic of the day. And this one came to me or was inspired by a tweet that I saw from Dave Hyde of the Miami Herald regarding trading Xavier Howard, which has been a very, very hot topic. You guys heard Omar Kelly talk about it on the podcast last week. We've seen Armando Salguero beat his chest over the idea that he could be a trade target on this massive rebuild slash tank idea. But this, this tweet alone inspired me to bring back a segment that we have not used since the Dolphins season came to an end back at the end of December. And with that, let's go ahead and do the one big thing. Rebuilding, tanking, these two terms are perceived in juxtaposition, but the two are truly synonyms of one another. We can go 12 rounds on whether or not tanking is feasible in the NFL, but the truth is that players will never be instructed to play anything less than their hardest. So we're being sold on the idea of trading the best player Miami has because, quote, by the time Miami is competitive again, Howard will be 29, end quote. That comes from Dave Hyde of the Miami Herald. What? 
In what world do NFL teams, NFL coaching staffs, and front offices get three years to undergo a rebuild? I understand this idea of patience and, quote, building things the right way to steal a quote from Stephen Ross. But since when has Ross ever shown a penchant to be patient? When has any NFL team shown that level of patience? There's no such thing as a three-year rebuild in the NFL. Not anymore, at least. The most extreme case of rebuilding didn't even require a third year of playing bad football. The Cleveland Browns stripped their roster for parts, traded down at every opportunity in the draft, and even then, after two woeful years, were back in year three with a playoff caliber roster and performance. It was just held back by awful coaching for a few weeks to start the 2018 season. The Bears turned around decades of futility. Yeah, they had some pop-up seasons there, but they've been bad for a long time. They turned it around in two years. Their future is bright. The Rams did it seemingly overnight and went to a Super Bowl in year two. In fact, each of the last three years had a first-time, second-year coach in the Super Bowl. McVay this year, Peterson last year, and Dan Quinn in 2016. In a league where rosters overturn at an increasingly high rate, rebuilds do not prohibit success in the interim. Hell, Tony Sperano and company took a 1-15 team to an AFC East title in year one. Adam Gaze won 10 games in year one. If the Dolphins draft a quarterback and he happens to be the guy, the rebuild is over before it even starts. Don't take the cheese. It's more clickbait than anything. And Miami can announce their intentions to rebuild all they want. And that might even be their overall aim. But I promise you this one thing, one big thing, if you will. Every hour that is clocked in Davy from now through August will be done under one principal mindset to win as many games in 2019 as possible. All right, guys, that is my time on the podcast. A reminder, if you have a smart speaker, you can tell your smart speaker to play the Locked On Dolphins podcast to get your favorite Dolphins podcast pulled up instantly. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Monday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up, everybody.